We will be studying Matthew chapter 20, if you want to turn there. Passage Dan read. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us, we pray, to see Jesus very clearly. We recognize that this book, Matthew, was written by a disciple, but it was written by an eyewitness, and it was written under the inspiration and leadership and guidance of your Holy Spirit, so that this is your inspired word. This is a word that you have preserved and you have inspired in order that we, in 2022, here in North America, in Western Pennsylvania, in this modern era, would see Jesus, would experience him, would understand him, would be able to view this scene, live in the midst of this scene, and understand our Savior, and understand who he is today, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and in our lives now. So help us, we pray. Give us strength, we pray. The same Holy Spirit who inspired this text and preserved it, please, we pray, send him to open our eyes and to help us and to strengthen our faith and to, and to bless us, we pray. We turn to you now. We ask this. We pray that this preached word would not just be a mere human endeavor, but that it would be a demonstration of your spirit and of power. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Jan and I were looking at some pictures uh, recently, snapshots, and the typical snapshot that you see of family members uh, in that were uh, smile, say cheese, stand there, smile, say cheese. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll see one that has not been posed. It just, it was, it caught a moment. And uh, recently, I saw one of my son, Caleb, and his wife, Erin, and they were sitting on some steps, and they were uh, laughing with one another. And the way their, their pose was, they weren't posed, the way their natural, way, there, was, there was a sense from that snapshot, it was a very delightful snapshot, but from the sense of just that one snapshot of that brief moment in those, in their lives, you could tell the joy they had with one another, you could tell the affection that they had for one another, you could tell the closeness, and just that, 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 that was just a special moment for them. And it was captured, uh, without them even knowing it, on this snapshot. And I thought of that as I was looking at this text today. There was thousands of people that were healed in Jesus' lifetime. There were multitudes of people that were healed. Uh, there were many blind people who were made to see. And we have examples of that through scriptures of others as well. Why these two blind men? Why this almost insignificant event? Why this momentary event? Well, it's been brought here and put here by the Holy Spirit to give us a snapshot of Jesus, to give us just a picture that we can look at and we can, and we can gain uh, so much insight and information from him. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to work through this, this narrative and we're going to see how special uh, Jesus is. But you're also going to be introduced to two blind beggars, two blind beggars, who, by the way, I'm going to uh, sort of organize our thinking around the fact that these two men were actually great theologians, great theologians, and also 
these men have constantly challenged me in my personal faith because they were men of great faith. But we're also going to see the Savior here. And what we're going to look for is we're going to see his loving heart and his great power. And I want you to see those together in this uh, so because you and I are going to need the Savior regularly like these two men needed him that day. And actually, probably more often than you think. So let's go through this text. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, it says this, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Now Matthew is setting the scene here. He's leaving Jericho and he's heading toward Jerusalem. As the crow flies, it's about 20 miles, so here to Hermitage, as it were. But in term, but this was actually a mountain trail because Jerusalem is a high elevation. It's a mountainous trail. This is where the Good Samaritan's uh, uh, buddy was, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan's uh, uh, victim that he healed and helped was, was captured and, and beat up. It was a dangerous road. So the, and, and Passover is coming. So Jesus, this, this prophet, uh, or some say Messiah, as they, as they were wrestling with who he is, and I, I, I making that iffy because these guys are going to nail it, uh, is, is heading now to the Passover in Jerusalem, and a crowd of people are heading with him. They're following him. They're excited about what happens when he gets to Jerusalem. And if you look at chapter 21, that's where we're going to end up uh, in, in chapter 21 is the, is the triumphal entry. And so what, what is happening? So this is a festive time. This is a time of excitement. The great prophet Jesus, the great healer. Uh, some say Je Jeremiah. Some say Elijah uh, and, and such as, as the disciples have reported. He's heading to Jerusalem. And so there, there's, there's celebration, Passover's coming, and, and all that. So I want you to understand the scene. It's a large crowd, it says. A great multitude, all right, of people are, are with Jesus, and he is moving up, the, up out, of, out of Jericho, heading to the mountains, and then up to Jerusalem. Verse 30, and behold... And again, I hope your Bible translates that because it's so beautiful the way Matthew puts this in his book. And behold, and look, and check this out, and, and be, there's something special going on here. I need you to see. That's what Matthew means by that. Two blind men are sitting by the road, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Now, before we move on, I want to, especially for those of you who have done a lot of Bible reading, I want you to understand uh, something at this point. Uh, if you were to read Mark in this text or, Matthew, uh, or Luke in this text, they're going to only reference one man, okay? And Mark is going to actually name him, all right? His name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And most everybody recognizes that when somebody like that is named, it's because they were familiar to the early church. In other words, one of these two blind men is going to actually become an important personage. He's actually going to follow Jesus into Jerusalem, probably won't leave Jerusalem after Jesus is crucified and raised, is probably there when Pentecost takes place and probably has an important major part in the formation of the early church. And his name is Bartimaeus. And so Mark and Luke focused on him. Matthew has two men. And so Bartimaeus being one of them, there's two men here. Now, this isn't unusual for Matthew, by the way. 
Matthew, as you know, Mark is not an eyewitness. He's probably getting his, his narrative from Peter. Luke is not an eyewitness. He went and interviewed eyewitnesses, he says at the beginning of his book. Matthew is an eyewitness, and Matthew tends to focus, uh, tends to actually give us a little bit more information. So sitting there with Bartimaeus is a partner, is a friend who probably didn't uh, take on that, that leadership role quite like Bartimaeus did. But second, and, and you see this also in Matthew and other places. For instance, Luke, uh, Mark and Luke, they talk about the demoniac who comes out. Remember when all the pigs run off the, off the, wood, the mountains? They talk about one demoniac who then goes to become a preacher into the ten cities. Matthew talks of two. He tells of two. Matthew, again, an eyewitness and such like that. And so that, I know that some of you are Bible readers and, and you may say, wait a minute, let me understand here. Matthew is focusing on two. Mark and Luke is focusing on Bartimaeus, especially because of the role that he has to play. So that, that might help you in, in, in that, in, in, in comparing the Gospels. So anyway, these two blind men are sitting beside the road and they're sitting beside the road where they normally always sit every day for the purpose of begging. They're blind. They can't work. They obviously don't have family. They don't have anybody to take care of them. And so every day they go out there and they beg. They beg that people will have mercy upon them and give them some money that they could buy some food or to give them some food. This day they're sitting there and look at your Bible. It says, when they heard that Jesus was passing by. And it's interesting because in the original language when this is written, was passing by is actually in the present tense to sort of give it a, a kind of a dramatic uh, uh, feel to it. In other words, Matthew wrote it like this, and when they heard that Jesus is passing by. And they, so they're sitting there begging. It's a normal day of begging, and they're out of the loop. These guys don't matter. They don't count in Jericho at all. They probably didn't even know what was going on, except they do know about Jesus. They had heard rumors about Jesus. They understood this, and all of a sudden, in their normal day of just sitting there begging as people are going by, especially they thought it would be a lucrative day because it's Passover. Lots of people are heading to Jerusalem. They can't get to Jerusalem. They're blind. They can't see the Passover and experience that. They can't even see. So they're begging for alms because people were supposed to give alms on their way to, to the Passover. And so this was going to be a big day for them. And all of a sudden, as they're sitting there, there's a big crowd. And, and the other gospel writers tell us that they ask, what's going on? What's going on? They said, Jesus is there. He's out there. They can't see him, but Jesus is there. Jesus is present. Jesus is right here. And as soon as they hear that, it says they cry out. And the word means to scream. They scream. Then notice what they scream. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. They're crying out, they're shouting out, and they identify Jesus as Lord and Son of David. Now, I want you to notice something here, and that is these guys are great theologians. They're great theologians. They recognize the majesty of his person. This isn't Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth alone, who's walking there and who's right there somewhere out there, real close in that big crowd. This is the Lord. Oh, Lord, they say. So this is the son of David. This is David's promised forever king who is going to reign and rule forever. This is Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the anointed one. This is the sent one. We believe that he is the Messiah. Remember in Matthew 16? 
Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Oh, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the Old Testament prophets. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. These guys are nailing it here. They've come to the conviction he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. He is the promised one. And now they're begging him and they're asking him for mercy. Now, these guys are such great theologians. I'm saying the fact that these two blind beggars are great theologians. Compare them with the actual professional theologians. Look at chapter 21 and verse 15. Jesus, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but Jesus has had triumphal entry. He's in the temple. Verse 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So there's a lot more blind people getting healed there. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, so these guys, number, verse 12, look at verse 15. The chief priests and scribes, these are the professional theologians, and notice the verb, saw, they're not blind. See, these other men never saw a miracle of Jesus. They only heard about him. These, these professional theologians see the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. There's children identifying Jesus as Messiah, son of David. They were indignant. They didn't believe. And that's why I'm going, let's go back to these two blind men. These two blind men are masterful theologians. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Without ever having seen, without having any of the privileges, without having spent their life studying Torah, these men understand and they believe who he is. And now they're crying out. They're crying out for mercy and they're crying out that they might be able to see. You see, dear friends, these two men were theologians who didn't go to seminary. They were theologians who didn't go to school. But they were advanced, more advanced than the theologians. Why? Well, I think part of the reason is, is because of the hard life that they lived. Their seminary was hard life, the school of hard knocks, as we say. You see, these men were uniquely equipped, as it were, for this moment. See, these aren't men who are, who, are, who are indignant because people are calling the son of David and challenging him as the chief priests are going to do and humiliating him and mocking him and questioning him. These men are simply humbly crying out for mercy. And dear friends, I want, I want to really say to you, this is deep theology, what these guys are doing here. They're saying, please, son of David, have mercy it's a humbling thing to ask for mercy. You see, these men have no pride. That's been drained out of them a long time ago. They're filthy, blind beggars sitting in the dust of people walking past them on the road, crying out for mercy. These men have nothing to offer Jesus. They have no self-righteousness. They have no importance whatsoever. These men are the most marginalized people of society. They have no sufficiency. And that's why their cry to Jesus is for mercy. See, when a, when a person has nothing, then all they can do is say, please, would you, out of the kindness and depth and compassion of your heart, would you do something to me, for me, that I can never pay you, I don't deserve, I'm not sufficient, would you please, please have mercy? All I can do is ask for mercy. And that's where they're at. 
These men have no credentials. They have no advantages. They have nothing to offer Jesus, nothing to point to. When the centurion asked, uh, 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 sent for Jesus to heal his, his servant, the, 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 uh, the synagogue leader said, oh, this man has helped our people. This man built us a synagogue. They tried to give some reason why Jesus should do that, that miracle. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Well, hey, she's Peter's mother-in-law. She had a hook with Peter that Jesus' friend Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was Jesus' friend. Jairus was the, the head of the synagogue, and Jesus went and healed his daughter. These men are beggars. These men have nobody. These men don't even have family, or their family would be taking care of them. They can't see. They can't work. They're nothings. They're nobody. They're poor. They're the dregs of society. They're the lowest of the low in society. And you, and you know what, dear ones? Because of that, they're asking for mercy. They're asking for mercy. You see, they're actually good at the one thing we're supposed to be good at. They're good at the most important thing that we need. Asking for mercy. Asking for help. Begging for help. Their blindness, their poverty, they have been marginalized, they've been, their humiliation, they're needy and they know it. And these guys are also master theologians because of the school of hard life, because they know what it is to ask for help. I need help. I need help. I can't do this. I need strength. I need grace. I need help. I can't even eat today. If you don't help me, these guys were used to begging for mercy, for asking for mercy, for asking every single day. I'm needy. I need help. And dear friends, this is absolutely important theology. And we have to have that. And that's why poverty, sickness, need position us well to look up in faith and to get and receive grace and mercy. That's why the Bible says that poor people are rich in faith. In James chapter 2 and verse 5, it says this, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? By your, by your grace and mercy... I've had the opportunity to travel a lot in this world in ministry, and all of that traveling has been amongst poor people, poor people in the Dominican, poor people in Africa. I, Jan and I started our ministry in the inner city in Pittsburgh, and I, I really, really, really like being around poor believers in Christ because I am so challenged all the time at their joy and their faith and their reliance, and how rich they are in faith. And that's what James is saying in this passage, and that's what we're seeing here. These poor men are rich, rich in faith. But the crowd doesn't see them that way. Look at verse 31. And then the multitude warned them and they, that they should be quiet. Matthew says in the original language, in order that they would be silent. See, being silenced is not a new thing. These guys wanted that. The crowd wanted them to shut up. The crowd turned on them. 
The crowd wanted them quiet. Why? Because they were loud. They had to be loud. They were beggars sitting there. All of a sudden, Jesus is instantly out there somewhere in the crowd. There's a large crowd, and they begin to scream out, have mercy upon us, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy upon us. They're crying out, and they were loud. They had to be loud. They were loud. They were obnoxiously loud. They were embarrassingly loud. They were, you're giving Jerusalem a bad name loud. They were, you're offending great the great prophet who's visiting us loud. They were, you are out of your place, beggar loud. They were like, this is like if, a, if the mayor of a big city, New York City, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, was, was, was taking dignitaries through the city and a homeless man said, hey, mayor, over here, hey, we need some help, you know, help homeless people. People were like, get that man out of here, get that man. That's what the dynamic is going on here. And these people wanted them to shut up and quit embarrassing Jericho and quit embarrassing the crowd and quit embarrassing uh, Jesus as, as the great prophet and their, and their visitor. They want them to shut up. And notice this. These guys will not be silenced. You know why? You can't really embarrass a, 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 a blind beggar. You can't embarrass him. It's like, what, what, what are you going to embarrass me about? I'm sitting here. I'm dusty. I'm dirty. I'm poor. I have nothing. What are you going to embarrass me about? Why should I be silent? Why should I shut up? I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And they refused to be silent. And in fact, they got louder. Notice what it says. And, and they cried out, but they cried out all the more, saying, and here all of a sudden the decibels went up by 10 or 15. Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Every effort to silence them, they just got louder and louder and more belligerent, as it were. And then in the midst of this sort of chaos, shut up, shut up, you're embarrassing us. Jesus, Jesus, help me, shut up. Jesus, help me, shut up, Jesus. There's this amazing thing that Matthew adds. Look at verse 32. So Jesus stood still. That did not have to be put in there. Matthew could have simply said Jesus, Jesus called them to him. But there's an interesting, that's an interesting addition. Jesus stood still. And, and, and I think that we're supposed to process this something like this. Jesus is walking in a crowd. People are talking. People are talking at him. People are talking all around him. People are, people are speaking. People want to address him. He's walking in this crowd, and he hears over the din of this crowd, over the noise of this crowd, he hears these two men shouting, Son of David, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy. And as soon as that registers into his mind, he stops. It's like, it, it would be like, you know, if you're, if you're with somebody and you hear something, you say, stop, stop, quiet. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's what happens here. Jesus stops and he hears their voice. And then he calls them. The word is to be summoned. Hey, bring those two. Those two guys that are yelling in the background, I, I need to see them. Bring them up here. And so they bring them up here and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, when I first read that, I thought that's kind of a, Kind of an obvious question, <laughs> okay? Like, uh, Jesus, do you really need to ask that? But then as I was reading the commentaries, the commentators said, no, wait a minute. You need to realize something. These guys are beggars. They're begging for money. That's what they do. They beg for money. 
And they could have easily said to Jesus, we, man, you're, you're like the great prophet. you got to have some money. We just want some money so that we can get bread. That, they could have just said that. And so Jesus is sorting that out a little bit. So, so, okay, what do you guys want me to do? Do you want me to give you alms? Is that what this is about here? Is that, and you know what, quite frankly, dear friends, there's lots of people who treat Jesus like that today. I don't want salvation. I don't, want to, I don't care about all that. I'm, I'm not ready to be a disciple. It's just, hey, what goodies can I get from you? What can you do for me? That's prosperity gospel preaching. That's what it's all about. And, but the, but I, th I think you should notice something else here. And that is Jesus' desire and willingness to interact with these guys. The whole crowd is there. And I can imagine the whole crowd at this point is kind of quiet and dumbfounded. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, what can we do? Like, think about this. Like, again, just kind of put yourself in the situation. Imagine you were, say, downtown Pittsburgh or downtown Cleveland or something like that. And uh, somebody important was coming through. Somebody really important, so important that there was crowds of people, a movie star, a, a, an athlete, a, a, an important politician is coming through, coming through. And, and there's a big crowd and the, and the press is there and cameras are flashing and people are asking for autographs and things like that. And, and, and you call out to him. Maybe you just need an autograph. You call out to him. And, uh, and what would you normally expect? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. No, no, no. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Too busy too busy, too many people talking to me. But what if he stopped and he took the time and he talked to you? We were in Calgary. Uh, we took our kids to a hockey game in Calgary because the Pens were playing. And uh, Jan found out where the Pens were coming out of their, of their we were Penguin fans in, uh, stuck in Canada. And, uh, and so Jan found out where they were coming out. So she said, we're going we're gonna to take the kids down there. And a bunch of uh, hockey players came walking out, and people wanted autographs, and they just walked right by. And then Mario Lemieux came out, and Mario Lemieux had played that game in that game. He came out, and he very carefully walked through, and he, and he signed every single person that was there. Becca was there. Dan was there. He signed them. He would, he would stand beside them and take pictures. And he had played a really good game that night, and he had to have been exhausted, and he took the time to spend with each one. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is stopping and he's looking at these men. He's treating them like human beings. He's treating them like people. He's treating them like they're important. The great prophet who has stirred up all of Jericho and is heading to Jerusalem is talking to these two men that nobody even knew existed or cared and he's treating them like people. And he says to them, what do you want, what do you want me to do? Let me, let me take some time. That would be like the president of the United States or, or some big mayor or somebody stopping or somebody, hey, getting out of the car and coming right to you and saying, hey, how can I help you? What, what, what can I do to help you? And that's what happened. And notice what they say, of course. They say, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. It's almost like they say that in unison. Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Dear friends, do you see what's going on here? Think about this. Think about the last time you really needed Jesus' help. Like something really bad had happened. You're, something really, you need something great. You need, Lord, we need healing right now. We need, we need some, we need $10,000 right now. Lord, we need, we need you to do something right now. Lord, I, I don't know if this one's going to get through the surgery. We need you to, to help. we need something, for, we need something big. These guys are asking for something really big. They're asking for something big. 
And they say, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. We want our eyes to be opened. You know what's interesting about these guys? Again, they were the last people in the world that you would think would even be at that moment. I think about these guys. In their lifetime, they were either born blind or they lost their sight. They're not at home being cared for by a loving family, which would have happened to a lot of blind people. They're beggars, and they somehow have only each other. They, two blind men somehow met and somehow were decided to beg on the street corner, get their, get their shekels, pull them together, see if they could buy a little bit of bread and shiver up together at night uh, under, under a blanket, and then the next morning do the same thing. They're blind. They're homeless. They have no families. They have nobody cares for them. Their life has been hard. Their life has been difficult. Their life has been a disappointment. Their life has been a discouragement. Every single thing has been a trial and a difficulty. Nothing has ever been easy. If anybody should have been down, if anybody should have been defeated, if anybody should have been filled with bitter unbelief, it should have been these guys. It can't get lower than this. If anybody should have been drained of all faith and said, what's the use? What's the use? Why should I even cry out? It's these guys. But you know what they're showing? They're showing what Jesus has been urging us all to have. They're showing simple, childlike, great, deep faith. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon us. Listen to us. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. They're expectant. They're confident. They believe in him. They believe that he can do this. They believe that it's easy for him to do this. These guys are full of faith. And notice how Jesus responds. Look at verse 34. So Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion. I've used this word a lot. Splagnizomai, the Greek word, comes from the inner organs. And we, we think of the inner organs when we think of, he loved me with all of his heart. I have a gut feeling. That took my breath away. Lungs, heart, guts. That's how we use it. We use the same thing for deep, something coming, surging from deep within. And I love this picture that is here right now. Jesus sees these two blind men. He's standing there. He's looking at them. He's talking to them. And they say, Lord, we just want our eyes open. We want our eyes open. And Jesus' heart just flowed out to them. He just loved them. He just... His heart sympathized. He, he felt their pain. He felt their blindness. He felt their loneliness. He felt what a hard life they had. He just, it just flowed out of him. You know what's amazing at this point? Honestly, now I try to put myself in Jesus' shoes. Or not Jesus' shoes, because I'm not famous and important. What would it be like to be in Jesus' shoes? Like, we think of famous people, right? I don't like famous people, to be honest with you. I don't like rich people. I, 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 I need to grow in this. I need to get good at this. But celebrities and all that, I, they, they kind of disgust me, I have to be honest with you a little bit. So full of themselves, so enamored with themselves, so, so promoting themselves. I just find that all unseemly. But maybe if I was in that environment, I would be that person. I was listening to some preaching. I'm trying to listen to a lot of preaching. And one, this one guy was preaching on YouTube. And then 
And then all of a sudden, and I saw he had 390,000 people listen to the sermon. And halfway through the sermon, it, it zoomed out and showed him in a nice sweater, actually similar to this, maybe I'm one of these guys, but he had this nice sweater and he's sitting in this very beautiful house and, and he starts interacting and they start talking about some of his books that he wrote and products. And then they go back to preaching. I thought, you just desecrated preaching by self-promotion. What I see here about Jesus, though, is Jesus is not enamored by the crowd. Jesus is not like, hey, this is important. Jesus is not jazzed that he's popular right now. This is good for the movement. This is good for the kingdom. Jesus doesn't like that. He's not, he's not, he's not, and, and the other thing about Jesus right now is, so, so I'm sinful enough to know that would be where I would be. I'm also sinful enough and, and I'm weak enough to know this, but I'll tell you where I would really be at this point if I were Jesus. I'd be thinking about me. And I would be thinking about Jerusalem. Because look at verse, remember verse 18? We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and he deliver him to the Gentiles who will mock and scourge and crucify. I would be thinking that within today and tomorrow, I'm going to enter into Jerusalem. And by the end of the week, I am going to have been beaten, I'm going to have been mocked, and I'm going to be nailed to a tree and left to hang there in the sun until I die. I would be consumed with myself. I would be consumed with my suffering. I would be filled with fear. I would be filled with nervousness like I would be before a, an important surgery or something like that. I wouldn't have time for compassion or need for other people not Jesus. He looks at those two men and he just, he just likes them. He loves them. He feels for them. He's all about them and not him. He's going to die for them, but he loves them. And then notice what he does and touched their eyes. I don't know what that looked like, but it looked something like this. You know, he touches their eyes. He gets his fingers on four eyes. He touches their, their drooped eyelids. He touches their eyes. And the Bible says, bam, immediately. Within a, a millisecond, notice what the verse says, and immediately their eyes received sight. Oh, dear ones, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this really Jesus living out verse 28? Look at verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, instantly, instantly he serves them, he gives to them, and instantly their eyes open. Instantly light floods in their soul. The Bible says the eyes are the, are the light of the soul. Light floods into their soul. They see, perhaps for the first time, they see Instantly, instantly, the whole spectrum of colors comes flowing into their very being and they see and they're experiencing colors. They see the blue sky. They see the white clouds. They see the green trees. They see the faces of the people around them. They see the bright colors of the dresses and that, that the women are wearing as they're heading to Jerusalem. They see each other face to face, perhaps give each other a hug, laughing. And then they see the smiling face of Jesus Jesus entering into their joy and they see his face. What a wonderful, wonderful thing this was. What a dramatic exercise of power. Jesus makes blind men see. And then notice what they do next. And they followed him. 
and they followed him. Dear friends, if you have never been around poor people in third world country, you don't get this verse. But if you have, you get this verse. They had nothing. Like we would say, okay, Jesus, wait a minute. Let me make my to-do list. I need to call the paper. I need to call the mail. I need to get to make sure somebody's going to mow my lawn. I need to make sure this. Hey, I got some. Oh, Jesus, follow. I'll follow you. Let me. That's the way we would. That's, how do you go on a trip? That's how you go on a trip. Don't tell me you don't. That's how you do. You don't just jump in and say, like, like I don't just, just say, okay, now I'm going to Jerusalem. <laughs> right now. I don't have any money. I don't have nothing. I'm going to Jerusalem. See, poor people have nothing. They have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so they followed Jesus. And that's what they did. And they followed him. They just went. They headed to Jerusalem. There's much here for us, dear friends. There's much here for us. We're in their place. We're in their place more often than you think. We're in their place, and we need these guys. We need them as our example. For instance, dear ones, no one ever comes to Jesus in any other way. No one ever. If you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian, because some point in your, now you may not have articulated it the way you did. You may not even understood what you were doing at the moment that you were doing that. But when you came to Christ, you came with nothing. You came in need. You came lost and a sinner. You came an enemy, vile, guilty, broken, with nothing to offer. And you heard the gospel and you said, Jesus, please save me. Please have mercy upon me. Please forgive me and accept me and take me and apply your blood to me. Please give me everlasting life. I have nothing to pay you, nothing to give you, nothing to, to urge you to, to consider me. I'm a sinner. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Dear friends, that's how you came to Christ. That's how I came to Christ. Maybe you didn't realize that until later in life as you grew in grace. But you know what, dear friends? Situations in life make us this desperate too, don't they? Have you ever found yourself at the end of your rope? You're exhausted. All your resources are spent. You have no backup plan. It could be illness. It could be anxiety. It could be some trial. It could be some fierce, terrible temptation. It could be some injustice. It could be some great need that you have. Maybe just the need to love an enemy or to be patient to somebody is so hard to be patient with because they're so mean and they're so irritable. Whatever your need is, we have to call out to Jesus for mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Please, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my resources. I have nothing more to give. All I am is a failure. All I've done is screwed up. I've tried and I've failed. I'm now turning to you. Please, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. And you know what we need to do? Is call out with the kind of faith that these men have. Here's the good part. They had Jesus. There, with all of his grace, compassion, 
and power. Dear friends, here's the good news. So do you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. And look at how tied in this text is with what we just looked at. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. That's a double negative. So we do have a high priest who can sympathize, but it's said in the negative. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but is in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Didn't these guys come boldly? Didn't they tell the crowd, you ain't silencing me. Get out of the way. He's right there somewhere. I'm finding him. Point me to him. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. That's what they obtained. He had compassion for them. And find grace to help in time of need. Dear friends, we have the same Savior. All we need, as it were, is faith, confidence, to be able to see the unseen. The Bible says that faith is seeing the unseen. It's seeing Jesus. It's believing in him. It's, he becomes real because I believe and I'm confident in him and I take him at his word and I believe that he is who he claimed to be and I know he's risen from the dead and I know he's still full of compassion and I know he's the same yesterday and today and forever and I know that he has invited me to come and I know that he's my great high priest now. I'm seeing the unseen. Dear friends, these blind men saw much more than the chief priests and scribes saw. They saw Jesus through the eyes of faith and dear friends, we're called to the same thing. And you have every reason to be confident. Every reason to be confident. Two, two blind beggars came to Jesus earlier in Matthew chapter 9. And this is what it says. It says, and when he had come into the house, it's a different story. He's in the house. These guys come in. The blind men came to him and Jesus said to him, do you believe that I, I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. Dear friends, that's what we need to do. We need to bring faith. We need to come boldly and bring faith, trusting in this Lord, trusting in him with open hands, coming, running, fleeing, yelling, not being silenced, not being stopped, not being discouraged. Just come to him. Just come to him. And don't let anything stop you or anybody stop you. J.C. Ryle said this, and I put it in your bulletin if you wanted to follow along, but listen to what J.C. Ryle said. He sums it up well. The Lord Jesus is not only a mighty Savior, but merciful, kind, and gracious to a degree our minds cannot conceive. Well might the apostle say that the love of Christ passes knowledge. That's a passage Dan read earlier. Like him, let us pray that we may know more of that love. We need it when we first begin our Christian course. Poor, trembling penitents and babes in grace. We need it afterwards as we travel along the narrow way, often erring, often stumbling, often cast down. We shall need it in the evening of our days when we go down the valley of the shadow of death. Let us grasp the love of Christ firmly and keep it daily before our minds. We shall never know until we wake in the, up in the next world how much we are indebted to it. Dear friends, the Lord Jesus will always be there for you. You can always trust him. He will always take care of you. He will, nothing will ever separate you from his love. 
Come to him, rest in him, trust in him. Unbelievers, are you here today? Are you here today? And I would imagine if you're an unbeliever and you're here today and you've been looking out upon this world, you're scared. You're worried. This world has gone crazy. And you've tried your social media and you've tried maybe drugs and you've tried sex and you've tried relationships and you've tried all that, but you still keep coming up empty. And the world gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Well, dear ones, let me say this to you. If you call out to Jesus right now for mercy, you know what he'll do? He'll stop. He'll stop. And he'll listen. You say, yeah, I've screwed up so much, though. I have nothing. I'm such a sinner. I've such a screw up. I've held him up for so long. I'm just nothing. I, I can't come to him. Yes, you can. Just cry out for mercy. Mercy. Cry to his compassionate heart. Cry to his loving grace. Cry out to him, and he'll stop. And he'll listen. And he'll come to you. His heart will be poured out with compassion upon you. I love, you know, this has really helped my prayer life, dear ones. This has really helped my prayer life this week. Because I was thinking, I'm praying right now. So are millions of other people around the world praying to Jesus right now. But you know what? Even with the sound of all of their prayers, with each one of us, he stops. His heart's full of compassion. And he listens. Dear lost one here, you don't have to, you don't have to be lost. Not anymore. You can be saved. Just call out to Jesus for mercy, and he'll stop. And he'll pour out his compassionate heart, and he'll give you the grace that you need. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is. Poor, blind beggars like us. Little, insignificant nobodies that we can just turn to you and talk and you stop and you listen and you're full of compassion. And even now in this small room with this group of people, whatever's on our heart and we're crying out to you about right now, we're burdened for right now, you have as much concern, compassion and attention because you're infinite as if we're the only person in the entire universe. You are a wonderful savior. You are a compassionate savior. We thank you so much that we have you. Have mercy on us, we pray. The one who has come here today struggling, the one who has come here today worried, the one who has come here today burdened, the one who has come here today just beaten up by their sin, beaten up by Satan, the one who has come here today who's empty and lonely and needs answers. Oh, hear our cry, hear our prayer. Have mercy upon us, son of David. And thank you that like these blind men, we can have confidence you will hear. You are gracious. You are kind. We praise you and thank you in your precious name. Amen.